continuing our annual, uh, well, our year theme of Empowered. Uh, last term, uh, we looked at Empowered by Community, and we rooted that teaching series in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, a, a, a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, wrote to a church in Corinth. And that was all about love, and you may well be familiar with some of that. I mean, he talks about the the kind of the way that love works and what love is. And uh, this term, we're going to be looking at empowered by faith. And you may have got a book like this when you came in through the door, uh, which we'll have a look at in a moment. Empowerment is a key part of the Christian life. It's not something that, you know, as Christians, we we kind of enter into a philosophical understanding around some wisdom literature. The Christian life is one of empowerment through relationship, and that is in relationship with the Creator God. And the Holy Spirit, God being Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit indwells in us and works in us to empower us to live the lives that we were originally designed and purposed to live. In Paul's early, uh, one of his letters to the church in Rome, he starts to explain to them that humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. In that people were designed to be glorious. We were designed to be reflecting the glory and the beauty of God. To be fully human is to be as God originally purposed us to be. But in this fallen creation where we've separated ourselves from God through our actions, through our disbelief, through our dishonor of one another and of ourselves... We find ourselves separated and we fall far short of this glorious design that God had for us in the beginning. But what God calls us to is to draw near, not to stand off. It's interesting that the word skepticism or to be skeptical comes from a Greek root word which means to observe from a distance. But God says, I don't want you to try and observe and analyze me from a distance. I want you to come close, taste and see that I am good. He wants us in relationship. And as we look at this idea of faith and what faith is in this empowered series, what we hope to discover is that actually it's an in-working effect of Holy Spirit, of us drawing close to God, that he produces in us a faith that enables us to do immeasurably more than we ever thought we could and to follow God in places we never thought we could. And to do things that he calls of us that we just don't think we could. And to see things happen in our lives and the lives of those around us that we never imagined that we could. 
So we're going to explore how we can be empowered by faith. Now here's the uh, uh, attempt the clicker. So oh, that's great. Now this is the series. You've got it in the front of the book. Sorry if you're a visitor. You're very welcome to come back and join us. Um, but for those of us who are able, I encourage you to be here on Thursday evening uh, where we're going to have all our groups, our life groups, community groups are going to meet here and we're going to explore something more of the nature and the character of God. If you have a look in the, in the book that you've got and you turn forward into pages four and five, you'll see that we're going to be exploring the character of God the promises based on his character to those who believe and the gifts given to us as children of God. Because faith isn't the blind faith that sometimes gets associated with the word. It's, oh, well, faith, you, 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 you lack understanding to have faith. It's a, it's a crutch to fill in the blanks. It's Something that you utilize when you can't cope or you don't know. But the reality is biblical faith is the opposite of that. Biblical faith is one which says, here is evidence that I wish you to believe upon and prove by your outworking of faith. It's not an absence of information or evidence, but is a, it is predicated on, it is based upon, it presupposes evidence and revelation. And as we'll explore that as God expects faith from us, he does so on the basis of the fact that he has already revealed to us something to believe in. Now, the cornerstone, the substance of our faith, is based in and upon the person and work of Jesus. It is his life, his death, and his resurrection as historical, tangible fact that changes everything in history. It is this Christ moment in history that is the cornerstone of our understanding. As Paul writes to one of the churches, he says, if Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is in vain. And so is your faith. So you might as well forget the whole thing. But here is a guy, the Apostle Paul, who was out to persecute and destroy the church because as a Jew, he felt that these Christians were preaching heresy. And therefore, they should be destroyed. But he has an encounter with the one true God. And you've heard of the Damascus Road experience where he literally gets knocked off his donkey. And so there's this tangible real Christ moment and as you've been hearing today from those that were baptized and you would hear if you spoke with many who believe in the room 
this Christ moment has happened again and again and again in life after life after life. Remember the other week, Gareth was sharing how 30,000 times a day it's happening in China. Where people are having a Christ moment. Where they're before Jesus and they're after Jesus is forever changed. Because they encounter the one. And so he encourages us not to stand far off in scepticism and observe from a distance, but to draw near. You see, God is the promise keeper. He's a God of covenant promise. A covenant to Abraham and Sarah that he would fill the planet with their offspring. And not just physical human children, but offspring of faith who would enter into relationship with God who would have Christ moment after Christ moment and be forever changed, back in relationship with God where once they were unable to approach. Because as we all know, shame, guilt separates us. Our unrighteousness, our wrongdoing separates us from a holy God. And that holy God whose holiness and glory is so pure that if we approached, we would be destroyed, says, I want them to approach, therefore I will make a way. And I will make a way through myself by giving of my son. He will stand in their stead. He will take the punishment of their sins upon himself, live a perfect righteous life and thereby in rising from the dead, proclaiming victory over sin and death, make a way for people to come into my holy glory by being covered by his righteousness. That's what these guys have done today. They died with Christ And now they're risen with him. The old has gone, the new has come. They walk in newness of life. Able to breathe and see the light and walk in it. And it's this that God invites us into. He invites us into an intimacy, a closeness, a proximity. But beware. As you draw near... He will change you. He will insist upon it. But it's for your good. And it's in his grace and his loving kindness and his mercy. He is the faithful one. And so we can have faith in him. In all of Paul's sufferings, he was beaten, shipwrecked, and goodness knows what, you can read all about it in the New Testament. He says this one thing, it's because Christ died for me and rose again and loved me that I know I can endure all things. Because if God has given me his son, how much else would he give me all good things? So I can withstand, I can endure, I can pursue him. Because he's given me the ultimate gift. The ultimate gift. Now as we 
approach this work of Jesus. As we look at the Bible, the collection of, the, of what was said and the record of what was done, we find that this comes into play. That what Jesus said in John 6, 68, 63 is true. He says this, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. As we come to the Bible, it's not just another book. They're not just other words. The Bible describes itself as being like a double-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow, to show the conscience of man, to reveal the inner thoughts and expose us to the uttermost pure standard of who God is. Yet at the same time, makes a way for us to come close and understand him. And it is this duality of the work of the Holy Spirit and the word, the Rima word of God and the Logos word of God working together in us that produces faith. In Luke 15, we see the, the father approaching the son who'd abandoned the father said, give me all your wealth and went and squandered it on prostitutes and on wild living and ended up losing it all because those weren't real friends and ended up eating, well, living with the pigs and wishing he were able to eat what the pigs had. And Jesus sets up this story for a number of reasons, but a principal one is to show the heart character of God, that he pursues us that he takes hold of us in this deep embrace. And in that embrace, while we're in his arms, he cries out to our heart and he says, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. In fact, I love you so much that I gave my son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's my love for you. That's my love for you. It's in this embrace as Holy Spirit comes and knocks on the door of our heart that we get a choice. Say, so do I believe? Shall I say, okay? Shall I open the door and say, Lord, come in? Or shall I remain sceptical and say, no, back off, stay away? The word of God is powerful. It causes a reaction in us. Paul, again, writing to the church in Rome, describes the word of God and the bringing of faith as this. He says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. See, Jesus says that his words are spirit and life. They're not just words, they're not wisdom literature in the traditional sense of Confucius or Buddha or whoever. They in and of themselves carry truth. And they are carried by Holy Spirit into the depths of our soul. And he says, will you respond? You see, faith is birthed in us. Belief is birthed in us as Holy Spirit comes and bangs on the door of our heart. I love Simon's story. You know, he was homeless, woke up, came to this church, didn't know why. 
but the Lord was guiding him. Holy Spirit was at work. A beautiful son of the king that he didn't want to see left out on the street. So he went to the highways and the byways and he gathered them from all around. And he continues to do that. Continues to do that. It is this word that is full of power that causes us to have to respond. You have to say and make a choice to follow or not to follow. And it's in this interaction, in this embrace, in this moment of intimacy that we choose and we say, I believe you, God. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins. I believe I'm in need of you. Will you come? And there's an exchange. And Holy Spirit starts to birth in us faith. Quote here, which is, Faith is the divinely given conviction of things unseen. It references Hebrews 11 verse 1. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's peculiar, isn't it, that sometimes we can think that we, in and of ourselves, need to develop more faith. If only I had more faith. It's like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Pull yourself up. It's not easy to do. In fact, you look quite ridiculous and you get nowhere. But as we'll see, this assurance is a work of Holy Spirit in us. Hebrews 10, 15. The writer goes on to say this. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write them. There's a work of Holy Spirit that comes and he molds and he shapes us according to his will and his purpose. He makes us soft and tender to the whisper and the instruction through his word. At the inception of the church in Acts 2, Peter grabs hold of, inspired by Holy Spirit, the prophecy from Joel. And he says this, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. In those days I'll pour out my spirit. In other words, no one is excluded. It is this interaction of Holy Spirit in us. This exchange, this divinely given expression of belief and assurance that happens as we give ourselves to him. Now, we're going to do a little bit of work through the booklets. Okay, So if you've got one there and you'd like to turn to page 3, you'll find this page just after the, uh, the opening of it. Now this is 
down the, uh, down the left-hand side of that page, you'll see some of the Greek, um, the original language, so that we can understand the root meaning of what's being said in our English translation. And we've got this word of pistis, which is the Greek word for faith, which comes from the root word, pisteo, which really means to be persuaded, to be fully persuaded. It's kind of hard to fully persuade yourself. I have fully persuaded myself. But you're persuaded by another. You're persuaded by the Holy Spirit. It's God's divine persuasion in us that brings birth to faith. It's not worked up on our own, but it comes from a context of intimacy, closeness, interaction, and learning. So this God is relational. He wants us to know him. That was the purpose of him creating us. And therein he wants to persuade us of his goodness and his mercy and his kindness, of his character and his nature. Tangible things that are to be tested and proven by us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. These aren't baseless, blind faith statements. It's a work of God in us. There is an interaction that comes. So let's have a look at Romans 12, verse 3, the first one there. Paul, writing to the church again there, he says this, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, God has assigned. So there's an indication there that actually God gives measures of faith to people. Ah, okay. So it's his divine persuasion in me, and he's giving measures of faith as grace gifts to the church to us. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if you're in God, you are his handiwork. He's working on you like the master carpenter, like the expert mason. And he's forming in you a Christ-likeness and a skill set and a gifting and a grace on your life in order to do the works that he planned for you to do before the beginning of creation. It's a beautiful picture as we step into Christ we're born as new creations and we enter into the fullness of life God has for us and 
all the opportunities that present as we understand his purpose for our being here on the planet. Galatians 5.22, the word here, faithfulness, in verse 22, is the same root word, pistis, pisteo, which is to be persuaded. Faithfulness, a fruit, an attribute of the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, generating faithfulness. Generating an ability to hold on, to pursue him, to trust, to be persuaded. In Romans 12, we see, if we go back to it, the preceding verse, which talks about our minds being renewed. See, as we come into Christ and we become a new creation, what we discover is, is that our old hardware is still wired according to the world's view. And we're still in the world. And so we find that there needs to be some rewiring, some reprogramming that needs to occur. Spiritually, I'm a new man. Spiritually, you're a new woman. But the reality is this old hardware is still aligned to the old way of thinking. So Paul writes to the church in Rome and he expresses this idea. He says, don't be conformed to the old way of doing stuff, the old way of thinking. But instead, be conformed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is amazing. By testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's really hard to operate in faith when you don't know what God's doing. It's really hard to operate in faith when you don't know what God's like. If you don't get any of that, it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to make this decision or that decision. If you've got a financial challenge, what do you do? Say, well... I have no idea what God's like about provision and uh, facilitating what I need and looking after my family and all the rest, so I'll just store up my own money. Or, do you know what? I don't know if I can trust God with my career, so I will elbow and I will fight for my position like everybody else does because, well, that's what the world's like, that's what I've got to do. Or, I will not forgive my family member because, do you know what, that's just too hard and I don't think I can cope with it and that's going to cause me some damage. Because I don't understand the grace gift of God and his love poured into me and the way he'll heal me and he'll restore and he'll make whole. See, if we don't understand God, it's very hard to do anything in faith. So we need our minds renewed and our ability changed to understand what is the good and perfect will of God. So we find these two things in play. The infilling of Holy Spirit who enables us to live according to his plan and purposes and the renewing of our mind through the word. So we have spirit and word together working in us. I used this analogy in the first meeting. I don't know if you've ever seen a sci-fi film where somebody gets injured or you know, body part is blown off or have just an alien come out of their stomach or whatever and they get put in a chamber 
that looks like it's full of liquid and there's all these tubes stuck to them and they recover. I don't know if you've seen anything like that or it's just me. It's a weird idea. But actually, the Word of God and the Spirit of God together create the perfect environment for us to thrive and grow, for us to be healed and restored and made whole. It's the same idea. And so if we neglect the Word, if we neglect interaction with Holy Spirit, then what we find is we start to lose limbs. We start to malfunction. Because we're no longer being renewed in our thinking according to the mind of God. But we're reverting back to what our old type was. And so we need to understand that we need to hold these two precious gifts together. The indwelling work of Holy Spirit and the gift of his word to us. To enlighten and renew our mind and our thinking. Now again, towards the end of this verse in Romans 12, we find that Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Again, referencing the fact that this faith is something that God is assigning to us. But Paul writes later on to the church in Corinth and the church in Thessalonica and he says to these churches, I'm so excited that I see you continuing to grow in your faith. So there appears to be another two things at work. One is God's grace gift of faith to us as a people to believe and understand him. The other is our positioning ourselves in that chamber to grow and become more like Christ and grow in faith. Let us pursue him for all that he has for us and in us and together as a people so that we can attain more Christ-likeness this year than we've ever done before and thereby glorify him in our lives and live lives of faith. It's an invitation So briefly, what faith is and isn't. You'll see that on the slide there. So really, faith and belief aren't the same. Faith comes from God and involves his revelation. So faith is birthed in us as we believe. It increases in us as we lay our lives before him as we allow Holy Spirit to work in us and his word to renew our mind. It's his work, not our work. We don't produce it ourselves or drum it up, but it's his remay, it's his living, powerful word in us that does a work. Now, there's challenging statements in Romans 14, where Paul says, if it's not of faith then it's sin. If your action's not based out of faith, believing who God is, believing who Jesus is, and therefore living out of the good of that, then it's actually kind of sinful. It actually rejects the glory and the righteousness and the purity and the truth of who God is, and it lives contrary to that. It's kind of difficult, isn't it? Hebrews 11.6 says this, basically, without it, it's impossible to please him without faith. 
That one's a little easier, isn't it? Yeah, I do believe you exist. I don't pray. I don't, I don't live life as a functional atheist. In other words, I believe you're there, but actually in the decisions I make and the way I live, I essentially live as if you're not real. It's challenging, isn't it? Now, I've got to put the brake on because we've got plenty more sessions to explore this. And that's what we're going to be doing on Thursday and over the forthcoming weeks and explore what faith is and how we are empowered by it. Let me finish with this. We're all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I believe it's Holy Spirit's work in us that produces faith. And it's him that we rely on. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the armour of God and the shield of faith, it's armour that's been given to us for our protection. It's this conviction, this assurance, this understanding of who God is that goes above and beyond our circumstances that tells us that his permanency, his nature, his character, who he is has not changed. Because my circumstances have. And therefore I will trust him for the outworking of his will in my life. But the base foundation remains. If he's given me Christ, then how much more will he give me all things? Because he's given me the ultimate gift already. And over the next few weeks we'll explore what walking in faith looks like a bit more.